Chapter One of the Street of Seven Stars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Ann Spiegel. The Street of Seven Stars, by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter One. The old stucco house set back in a garden, or what must once have been a garden when that part of the Austrian city had been a royal game preserve. Tradition had it that the Empress Maria Theresa had used the building as a hunting lodge, and undoubtedly there was something royal in the proportions of the salon. With all the candles lighted in the great glass chandelier, and no side-lights, so that the broken panelling was mercifully obscured by gloom, it was easy to believe that the great Empress herself had sat in one of the tall old chairs, and listened to anecdotes of questionable character, even, if tradition may be believed, related not a few herself. The chandelier was not lighted on this rainy November night. Outside in the garden the trees creaked and bent before the wind, and the heavy barred gate, left open by the last comer, a piano student named Scatchet, and dubbed Scatch. The gate slammed to and fro monotonously, giving now and then just enough pause for a hope that it had latched itself a hope that was always destroyed by the next gust. One candle burned in the salon, originally lighted for the purpose of enabling Miss Scatchett to locate the score of a Tchaikovsky concerto. It had been moved to the small center table, and had served to give light, if not festivity, to the afternoon coffee and cakes. It still burned, a gnarled and stubby fragment, in its china holder. Round it the disorder of the recent refreshment, three empty cups, a half a small cake, a crumpled napkin or two, there were never enough to go round, and on the floor the score of the concerto, clearly abandoned for the things of the flesh. The room was cold, the long casement windows creaked in time with the slamming of the gate, and the candle flickered in response to a draught under the doors. The concerto flapped and slid along the uneven floor. At the sound a girl in a black dress who had been huddled near the tile stove, rose impatiently, and picked it up. There was no impatience, however, in the way she handled the loose sheets. She put them together carefully, almost tenderly, and placed them on top of the grand piano, anchoring them against the draft with a china dog from the stand. The room was very bare, a long mirror between two of the windows, half a dozen chairs, a stand or two, and in the corner the grand piano. There were no rugs. The bare floor stretched bleakly into dim corners and was lost. The crystal pendants of the great chandelier looked like stalactites in a cave. The girl touched the piano keys. They were ice under her fingers. In a sort of desperation she drew a chair underneath the chandelier, and armed with a handful of matches, proceeded to the unheard-of extravagance of lighting it. Not here and there, but throughout as high as she could reach standing perilously on her tiptoes on the chair. The resulting illumination revealed a number of things. It showed that the girl was young and comely, and that she had been crying. It revealed the fact that the coal-pail was empty, and the stove almost so. It let the initiated into the secret that the blackish fluid in the cups had been made with coffee extract that had been made of heaven knows what, and it revealed in the cavernous corner near the door a number of trunks. The girl, having lighted all the candles, stood on the chair and looked at the trunks. 
She was very young, very tragic, very feminine. A door slammed down the hall, and she stopped crying instantly. Diving into one of those receptacles that are a part of the mystery of the sex, she rubbed a chamois skin over her nose and her reddened eyelids. The situation was a difficult one, but hardly, except to Harmony Wells, a tragedy. Few of us are so constructed that the sweet Arlesine will serve as a luncheon, or a faulty fingering of the Waldfaben from Siegfried will keep us awake at night. Harmony had lain awake more than once over some crime against her namesake, had paid penances of early rising and two hours of scales before breakfast, working with stiffened fingers in her cold little room where there was no room for a stove, and sitting on the edge of the bed in a faded kimono where once pink butterflies sported in a once blue silk garden. Then coffee, rolls, and honey, and back again to work, with little Sketchet at the piano in the salon beyond the partition, wearing a sweater and fingerless gloves and holding a hot water bottle on her knees. Three rooms beyond, down the stone hall, the big soprano, doing Madame Butterfly in bad German, helped to make an encircling wall of sound in the center of which one might practice peacefully. Only the portier objected, morning after morning crawling out at dawn from under his feather-bed in the lodge below. He opened his door and listened to Harmony doing penance above. And morning after morning he shook his fist up at the stone staircase. Gott in Himmel, he would say to his wife, fumbling with the knot of his mustache bandage. What people, these Americans! So much noise and no music! And mad, grumbled his wife, all the day coal, coal to heat, and at night the windows open. Carl the milk-boy has seen it. And now the little colony was breaking up. The big soprano was going back to her church, grand opera having found no place for her. Sketch was returning to be married, her heart full, indeed, of music, but her head much occupied with the trousseau in her trunks. The Harmer sisters had gone two weeks before, their funds having given out. Indeed, funds were very low with all of them. The Bittesumspeisen of the little German maid often called them to nothing more opulent than a stew of beef and carrots. Not that all had been sorted. The butter had gone for opera tickets, and never was butter better spent. And there had been gala days, a fruitcake from Harmony's mother, a venison steak at Christmas, and once or twice on birthdays real American ice cream at a fabulous price and worth it. Harmony had bought a suit, too, a marvel of tailoring and cheapness, and a willow plume that would have cost treble its price in New York. Oh, yes, gala days indeed, to offset the butter and the rainy winter and the faltering technique and anxiety about money. For that they all had always the old tragedy of the American music student abroad, the expensive lessons, the delays in getting to the master himself, the contention against German greed or Austrian whim, and always, back in one's mind, the home people, to whom one dares not confess that after nine months of waiting, or a year, one has seen the master once, or not at all. Or, and one of the Harmer girls had carried back this seer in her soul, to go back rejected, as one of the unfit, on whom even the undermasters refused to waste time. That has been, and often. Harmony stood on her chair and looked at the trunks. The big soprano was calling down the hall. Sketch, she was shouting briskly. Where is my hairbrush? A wail from Sketch from behind a closed door. I packed it, heaven knows where. Do you need it, really? Haven't you got a comb? 
"'As soon as I get something on, I'm coming to shake you. "'Half the teeth are out of my comb. "'I don't believe you packed it. "'Look under the bed.' "'Silence for a moment, while Sketch obeyed for the next moment. "'Here it is,' she called joyously. "'And here are Harmony's bedroom slippers. "'Oh, Harry, I found your slippers.' "'The girl got down off the chair and went to the door. "'Thanks, dear,' she said. "'I'm coming in a minute.' "'She went to the mirror, which had reflected the Empress Maria Theresa.' and looked at her eyes. They were still red. Perhaps if she opened the window the air would brighten them. Armed with a little brush, little Scatchet hurried to the big soprano's room. She flung the brush on the bed and closed the door. She held her shabby wrapper about her and listened just inside the door. There were no footsteps, only the banging of the gate in the wind. She turned to the big soprano, heating a curling iron in the flame of a candle, and held out her hand. Look, she said, under my bed, ten cronen. Without a word, the big soprano put down her curling iron, and ponderously getting down on her knees, candle in hand, inspected the dusty floor beneath her bed. It revealed nothing but a cigarette, on which she pounced. Still squatting, she lighted the cigarette in the candle flame, and sat solemnly puffing it. The first for a week, she said. Pull out the wardrobe, Sketch. There may be another relic of my prosperous days." but little Scatchet was not interested in Austrian cigarettes with a government monopoly and gilt tips. She was looking at the ten cronen piece. "'Where is the other?' she asked in a whisper. "'In my powder-box.' Little Scatchet lifted the china lid and dropped in the tiny gold piece. "'Every little bit,' she said flippantly, but still in a whisper. "'Added to what she's got makes just a little bit more.' "'Have you thought of a place to leave it for her? If Rosa finds it, it's good-bye.' Heaven knows it was hard enough to get together without losing it now. I'll have to jump overboard and swim ashore at New York. I haven't even a dollar for tips. New York, said little Scatchet, with her eyes glowing. If Henry meets me, I know he will. Tut, the big soprano got up, cumbriously, and stood looking down. You and your Henry. Scatchy, child, has it occurred to your maudlin young mind that money isn't the only thing Harmony is going to need? She's going to be alone, and this is a bad town to be alone in. And she is not like us. You have your Henry. I'm a beefy person who has a stomach, and I'm thankful for it. But she's different. She's got the thing that you are as well without, the thing that my lack of is sending me back to fight in a church choir instead of grand opera. Little Sketchet was rather puzzled. Temperament? she asked. It had always been accepted in the little colony that Harmony was a real musician, a star in their lesser firmament. The big soprano sniffed. If you like, she said. Soul is a better word. Only the rich ought to have souls, Sketchy dear. This was over the younger girl's head, and anyhow Harmony was coming down the hall. I thought, under her pillow, she whispered, she'll find it. Harmony came in to find the big soprano heating a curler in the flame of a candle. End of chapter 1